Well, after this football season, the Pac-12 as we know it is done. It's going away. And they showed this weekend why that's complete insanity. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked on Pac-12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to to date with our media rights free and soon to be mostly team free, but until then, loaded and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today to get started. By the way, just a quick note, we hit 4,000 subs on the YouTube channel. Thank you all so very, very much. Appreciate it. If you're watching and you haven't, well, you'll know by the end of the show whether or not you want to subscribe. Hope you will. Uh, new goal, 5,000 by the end of the season. Let's, uh, let's do it. So the Pac-12 is done after this year which is uh, pretty great. Now, technically, you know, the league could still merge and do all this sort of stuff, but it is the best conference in the country right now. And it is, it has accomplished something that we have not seen ever in the league's history. It's literally at this point in time, the best conference in the country, the deepest, deep, deepest conference in the country may not have a national championship team, but it's the deepest conference in the country. It's never been like this. It's wildly entertaining, and it's going to go away. And they just made it so crystal clear, like in a few good men. Are we clear? Crystal. They made it crystal clear how badly leadership people over the last 15 years or so have screwed this thing up. Look at what this league is. The AP poll comes out yesterday, and there are, um, I'm going to do what LeBron James thought he would do in Miami, but he didn't actually accomplish there. How many teams were in the AP top 25 for this week from the Pac-12 specifically? Because of course there are 25 teams in total. So why don't we narrow it down to one specific conference? Uh, Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. I have to go to a second hand now. Not six, not seven, but eight. There are eight teams from the Pac-12 in the top 25. The previous record was six. By the way, anybody else? <laughs> I just I just shake my head and laugh at this stuff, man. Anybody else look at the, uh, the, the, the tweet that the Pac-12 conference sent out? promoting this this wonderful accomplishment here they are in 2023 <laughs> like they're tweeting out the Pac-12 has a I want to I want to actually find the tweet and uh and and read it real quick because it, it was it was it was just epic that they tweeted it out um they just tweeted out the AP poll for September 10th eight teams ranked for the first time in conference history previous high was six <laughs> what are you doing? What what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Who is doing? Who thought that was a good idea? What are you accomplishing there? Except reminding everybody how badly you screwed up. 
I, I mean, goodness gracious, like at this point, I, I think everyone has kind of made it clear. We don't need the Pac-12 leadership to have success on the football field. And the Pac-12 coming in trying to grasp some positive PR, which means literally nothing in the realignment landscape at this point in time. I, I, I just, I, I can't fathom it, but it's just a small crumb coming down from a giant cookie or scone or slice of bread, whatever you want to picture up there food-wise. I make it my mission in life to make you hungry by the time this episode comes to an end, of course. It is just a crumb that is coming from the primary source of where said crumbs have been matriculating down from for the last 10, 15 years. Like, that, that's, that, was, that was epic. <laughs> that was just, that was, uh, that was epic. I love that. Uh, I mean, I hated it, but but I loved it, you know? Like, it was just, you looked at it and said, really? <laughs> that's that's what you're doing? You're, 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 you're tweeting out, look how strong our league is. Yeah, that makes you look bad because you couldn't keep this together. Unbelievable. So, the Pac-12 does indeed have uh, the most teams in the AP Top 25 of any other, uh, of any conference in the country. USC, number five. Washington, number eight. Utah 12, Oregon 13, Oregon State 16, Colorado 18, Washington State and UCLA are the new entrants at 23 and 24. Um, good thing the Pac-12 Twitter account pointed it out or we never would have known. So <laughs> the Cougs at 23, I think that's fair because Wisconsin is a preseason number 19, could have ended up being too high. Um, it's the same standard they had with Colorado where TCU was 17, Colorado came in and, you know, was number 22. Then they had another power five win. They move up a few slots to number 18, uh, Oregon state, Oregon, Utah, and Washington all stay in, in the same spots, I believe from the week prior. I think USC was five or six, uh, last week, but they're still up there high, but how about UCLA? I was surprised that, that, that UCLA got in here. I do understand why. Because they played two G5 opponents in their first two weeks, and they have a you know filler game for from the cancellation from uh, Michigan. Thanks again for nothing, Wolverines. Like, uh, what a p- bunch of pathetic cowards. Anyway, so um, UCLA and Michigan should be playing this week. Instead, UCLA will play a school that, if I told you, you have probably never heard of and definitely wouldn't be able to name their mascot. But in the first two weeks... You played Coastal Carolina out of the Sun Belt, which is a respectable G5 conference that has pulled many an upset over the years. And they beat San Diego State comfortably. That was one of the Pac-12 prime picks, um, 35 to 10. So they didn't look wildly impressive, I'd say, in week one. I thought they looked much better in week two. I thought they would. I thought the matchup favored them, and it did. So I understand them being there. Um, I also understand them being the lowest ranked Pac-12 team because they have the least impressive schedule to this point. They will pick up a win this week and then they'll have a chance to really prove themselves with the same matchup that, you know, allowed them to to prove UCLA football was a contender last year and that's beating Utah. This time they'll have to do it on the road of course in week 4. And just as a quick side note, week 3 is not as loaded as week two. Like I, I'd hyped up week two all summer long when we actually talked about football here on the pod and every day as I'm sure will remember that. But week two delivered with a lot of great games, great matchups, big wins, conference looks awesome. In week three, 
it, it, it dies down a bit. Um, but we don't need to get to that yet because guess what? As you're listening to or watching this show, it's probably Monday. And if it's probably Monday, meaning possibly Tuesday or maybe even Wednesday, we need not be worrying about week three uh, just yet. So UCLA 24, Washington State at 23. Uh, glad I didn't have to get on my soapbox again about Washington State. Had to do that on the reaction show late Saturday night. That was actually recorded my time early uh, Sunday morning. But it was uh, a, a late night watching Pac-12 after dark and uh, the Cal and Auburn game and that whole ugliness from the Bears. They should have won. That's the other crazy thing. If Cal wins that game against Auburn, are they in the top 25? Because they trounced a G5 opponent in North Texas the first week, 58 to 21. So... <laughs> That's crazy to think about. There is a there is a world. I don't know if they would have gotten in. Um, of course, it's moot because they lost the football game. Of course, but I I I just think about that and go, boy, did did they did they really um, did they really come that close to having nine teams in uh, the top twenty five? I mean, Iowa is number twenty five in the country. I don't know, Cal and Iowa, kind of the same team. A lot of defense, not a whole heck of a lot of uh, offense over the weekend. But eight teams in the AP Top 25. My goodness. What a time to be a Pac-12 football fan. It's pretty darn great. And you know what? We have to do my favorite segment on the show. The other thing that's great is uh, Athletic Brews because they have completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. So, it's time for our Game Changer of the Week, brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like the California Golden Bears almost did this, but alas, uh, they, 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 they didn't quite pull it. I was, I was hoping they would. I was really, really hoping they would, uh, but alas, they didn't. But much like the Utah defense or Jeffrey Bossa for Oregon completely changed the way their games were going because they didn't win by a lot, but they got it done. Uh, in that same sense, athletic brewing has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. What a concept. You know, it would have been like Cal making a field goal. What a concept. Simple in theory, not always simple in execution, but athletic brews has got it down. Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good, full flavor, well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. They're great tasting and award Winning. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your first online order. That's code LOCKEDON at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Alrighty. Second segment sip is fit for one time, and that's the transition from segment one to segment two, hence the name. So, winners and losers, my favorite segment to do on the show during football season. Oh, gosh. Now, as a reminder, or perhaps an informative statement for anybody who might be new listening to or watching the show, thank you so much, everybody, for doing that, by the way. Heard me earlier, 4,000 subs on YouTube. I am humbled and grateful. So, glad you enjoy it. This is a uh, reflection of what I feel the mood should be for a particular fan base. It is influenced by, though not directly correlated with, the result that occurred on Saturday, but also takes into account other things within the program. So let's start with our outright winners. Uh, yeah, Colorado, again, 
second week in a row. They, they won't be able to be an outright winner, which is the highest grade you can get. Remember, there are five levels here. Uh, winner, lean win, no vibe, lean lose, and losers. Uh, we have no losers for the second week in a row because the Pac-12 is doing so great at the moment. So Colorado is an outright winner to me again this week because they didn't just beat Nebraska. They beat them a different way, and that's what impressed me the most. I, I talked about this in full on the last show if you want to check it out, but I'll summarize here briefly. Colorado beat TCU in a shootout in a game where nobody was playing defense. Then they come to play Nebraska in a game where the Huskers were, the Cornhuskers were playing defense and Colorado had to respond because their offense wasn't moving the ball and they did. And that is why I was so impressed with Colorado. So you beat your rival, Colorado rushed the field in their home opener. They're all hyped about Dion. They'll be 3-0 going into Pac-12 play, taking on Oregon at Autzen Stadium after they roll through Colorado State next week. And then you win that game 36 to 14 because the offense does get it going. Sean Lewis and, and Shador Sanders, that is peanut butter and jelly right now. Perfect combination. So Colorado, an outright winner. Here's the other one. Washington State, two years in a row, you beat the Wisconsin Badgers, two different coaches. You realize that last year's win in Madison helped contribute to the firing of Paul Chris in the middle of the year. You realize that? And Wisconsin got a lot better after Coach Chris left the program. That's why I thought going in, Wisconsin would kind of get their revenge. But nevertheless, Washington State prevailed. They didn't just prevail, they dominated this game. Then Wisconsin made a charge. To their credit, the Cougars held them off. Cam Ward looked good. The defense looks awesome. I, 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 just, I continue to sing the praises of Jake Dickert on this show. And I continue to think he's a really good football coach because guess what? He deserves praise, and he's a really good football coach. And Washington State is in the top 25. And the fact that you could easily power rate them as the 7th or 8th best team in uh, in the Pac-12, and you could be considered not trolling, is pretty remarkable right now. So Cougars, an outright winner there. Pac-12 prime picks. Got off to a cold start. I thought Nebraska was going to slow Colorado's momentum. They did not. Their defense was good enough early on. It didn't hold up. They couldn't move the football. Props to the Buffs. I thought Utah would beat uh, would beat Baylor by just a little bit more. They did not miss that cover by a point. And so at an 0-2 start, I'm thinking, well, here comes the bounce back week. Here comes a 1-4 after 4-1. Nope. UCLA, dominant. They cover 14.5 points on the road. Oklahoma State, didn't know why the line was so small. It took them a while to figure it out, but eventually they cover against ASU. And Cal plus six and a half, they should have won the football game. So, of course, they covered that at home. So, three and two, um, seven and three on the year. Feeling pretty good about that. If I stay at 70% for the season, goodness gracious, I will quit this job and I'll just go live in Las Vegas. It's only two and a half hours away from me. Uh, lean win. This is a team that uh, did something that wasn't necessarily expected, but is good. But it isn't, you know, vibes are not at an all-time high, right? Like Colorado and Washington State are vibing. Everything is good. They're feeling great, and they should be. These teams, they're feeling good for different reasons. So I'll start with UCLA. I thought you should go into San Diego State and dominate, and you did. Here's the other thing. You found your quarterback. His name is Dante Moore. And that makes me feel better about UCLA. I had them as 7-5 and coming into the year. I think their ceiling is 9-3. and We'll see what happens when they, excuse me, go to Provo, or go to Provo. 
I was in Provo over the weekend. That's why that was in my head. When they go to Salt Lake City for the first week of Pac-12 play, which is going to be a fantastic (laughs) week of games, by the way, I'm already excited for it. UCLA looked the way they should. You can't be in a lean any more than a lean win, in my view, when you're playing a group of five opponent. That's the best you can do. But that's about the best UCLA could have looked. 35 points, excellent. 10 points on defense, phenomenal. That's what should have happened. That's what did happen. Utah and Oregon, same game here. It wasn't pretty. Looked like they could lose. They easily could have lost, but they found a way to win. And good teams find a way to win football games. So it's not, oh my gosh, we're so great. This is amazing. It's, okay, we won. We could have lost. We didn't. Good job. We're 2-0. and Things are looking up. Utah and Oregon played. They had the same game going in. They played the same game going in. Sloppy, imperfect. They were the better teams. It's why they both emerged victorious. But they should have won by more, could have won by more. Didn't, got the win, survive in advance. Last one in the lean win department here. And this is why it's important for me to highlight that this is why this whole, you know, labeling of the mood of the fan bases should not be directly indicative of what happened on Saturday. Because I have Arizona as a lean win here. Now, they had chances to win the football game. They had the ball down three late in the fourth quarter, could have driven down the field, scored a touchdown, probably won. They didn't. They could have gotten a stop in overtime. They didn't. But here's where I, 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 I am impressed with Arizona. I have them as a seven-win team this year. I am not wavering from that prediction. I think they're a good football team. Speaking of, uh, you know, who a ninth team could have been to, to be in the top 25 if Arizona wins that game, which they could have, a road SEC win and a 38-3 to blowout of an FCS opponent, gosh, that could get you in the top 25 uh, after week two. Absolutely could have happened. Arizona loses here. I was worried about the turnovers going into it. Arizona had five of them. Jaden Delora threw four interceptions, three of them in the first quarter. That is the downside with Jaden Delora. The upside is the playmaking that you see, the attitude and approach he has as the leader of that football team. And Jed Fish, I think, is a really, really beyond solid football coach. Still waiting to see if he's great because I've seen Arizona get to a conference championship game before in this league. So that's what I need to see before I say, oh, he's a great coach. But he's a pretty darn good football coach. I, I think that much is really clear. And I thought going into that game that Arizona would lose. They did. I thought if that game had been played in Tucson, I was going to pick Arizona to win. And guess what? If that game is played in Tucson, Arizona probably wins the football game. And that's a great place to be because I think Mississippi State is a top 25 capable program right now. So uh, the lean win department, Utah, Oregon, Arizona, UCLA, busy, busy, busy. Uh, No vibe this week. As in you're playing an opponent that... I, I see what the outcome should be, and there's a reason that outcome should happen, and then that outcome takes place. No vibe. It's just, okay, standard standard operating procedure. This is what we were looking for. USC blows out Stanford. Thought they would. They did. They're not celebrating. They're just like, yeah, that's, that's what should happen. Don't need to feel bad about it. Don't need to feel, oh, we should have done that. No, they had 49 points in the first half. Caleb Williams is really good. Talking about him later in the show. Uh, Arizona State, I go no vibe here. I think there's some Sun Devil fans, perhaps listening to or watching this show, who would say, no, this is a lean lose, or this is a lose. We could have won the game, could have done this. 
Arizona State did exactly what I expected them to. Not be great offensively, look like they're still breaking in a true freshman quarterback, and against a superior program that I think you know might have better players overall, that, that might be closer than I think, but certainly has a more experienced coach, it played out in the end. So Arizona State was competitive. That's not the worst loss in the world. And now you focus on Fresno State coming into this week. Interesting matchup down there in Tempe for the Sun Devils. Uh, Oregon State, they trounced UC Davis. Uh, and Washington, they trounced Tulsa. Exactly what I expected from both. Exactly what should happen. That's exactly what happened. There were never any questions. There were never any doubts. There was never anything like that. Those two look like the Pac-12 contenders that we thought they would be through two weeks in the regular season. Washington actually has the most high-profile non-conference game remaining. Uh, really the only high-profile one this week against uh, Michigan State, where Mel Tucker will not be coaching. I don't need to go into that. You can look it up uh, yourself and such. Now, the uh, the Bay Area schools are the only ones that are below a no-vibe this week in a conference that is just vibing in a big, big way. Cal and Stanford, there, there are reasons that I don't think the fan base mood should be neutral, shall we say, as it is in the previous four schools. There are also reasons you should go check out FanDuel because you can get ready for the NFL season. I sat on my butt and watched football for, I don't know, seven hours yesterday uh, with my guy Scott Hansen. Seven hours of commercial free football start now. Uh, He is such a legend. You can get ready for the NFL season to continue with offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. So, now is the best time to join FanDuel. App is easy to use. You can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Okay, quick thought on the Bay Area schools before we wrap up with Caleb Williams. So I have Stanford in the lean-lose department here. Why? I thought that USC would win the game comfortably. They did. Stanford, after looking good against Hawaii, which is a pretty low-level G5 opponent, like that's you know above FCS, but I mean it's bottom of the barrel for, for a G5. And they go play Oregon this week, and Hawaii, again, will probably get hammered. So Stanford looked good against Hawaii, but I said, eh, well, let's see what they do against USC. I didn't expect them to win. I didn't expect them to compete. It was a 29 and a half point spread. There's a reason the spread was that large, but I thought they would be able to do a little bit better than that. It was 49 to three at the half. Like it, it, it shouldn't have been, it was not supposed to be a close game. I don't think that, you know, the Cardinal are, are a good team. I have them as the last place team. But defensively, I know you're going up against uh, USC. I, I expected it to demonstrate the gap in talent between the two programs, but not, not to the tune of 49-3 uh, to three at the half. Like that, that – when you're playing a Power 5 opponent – I don't care who it is. 49-3 the half that gets you the, the lean-lose label. And then Cal. There is an argument for, hey, Cal, you played an SEC team, and you should have won the game. Boy, you should feel good about that. Except I'm higher on Cal than most, or at least I was coming into the season. And not only could Cal have won the football game, they should have won the football game. 
There, there's no, well, you know, they were kind of in it, but they would have needed. No, if, if they had been able to kick a field goal, do anything productive in the red zone, not go backwards all the time with penalties. They, they had a holding penalty, penalty, take three points off the board on one of their good kicks. They missed uh, two other field goals. They got into the red zone. They moved the butt. Like they were doing the hard part and then they just couldn't do the easy part. They, they made the cake, right? And they had it stacked and then they took the icing and, and they Jackson Pollocked it at the cake and then said, there's a finished product. And you look at it and go, well, there's not enough icing on this cake. I, I, I know that the cake is the most important part, but you have to have the icing so that it blends together to create a finished product. It was all cake and no icing for Cal against, uh, against Auburn. And it was, you know, Auburn deserves some credit, like I talked about on the Saturday reaction show, because their front seven was physical and fast and played very well. Cal shot themselves in the foot so many times. It, it was just, I didn't always think the play calling was where it needed to be, but mostly just... The execution wasn't there. Time and time again in several areas, they were good enough to be on that football field. They were good enough to win that football game. They were playing well enough defensively to win. I think you have to be encouraged by the defense um, that looked really, really good all night long. But my, my goodness, just so many mistakes that led to that loss. So the Bay Area schools which I both had in the winner's department last week for blowout G5 wins because when you have lower standards, you can get into uh, the, the winner's department, in my view, when you don't have conference championship aspirations. Um, they're both in the lean-lose category this week. But the only one's below no vibe. So of the 12 schools, you got uh, 10 that are no vibe or better. Eh, this is pretty darn good. Uh, Pac-12 is also pretty darn good. So uh, let's close with this. This question came in, uh, which you can always do. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter, at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12. Um, Tyler asked about Caleb Williams. And what he wanted to know was, hey, you know, what, what do you think of this Caleb Williams situation? Uh, for those who are unaware, Caleb Williams' dad came out and basically talked about how, you know, the NFL is set up so that if you're the number one pick, you go to the worst organization. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like college, right? College is not set up like everything else. College is the best players go to the best schools. The NFL is the best players go to the worst teams because that's how they create competitive balance and parity, or at least they attempt to. They don't do it as successfully uh, as they think. The Chiefs have played in the AFC Championship game for like five years in a row. The Patriots dominated the AFC East for, I don't know, 20-some-odd years. Like it, it's, There are dynasties in every sport, uh, whether it's college sports or, or the NFL or the NBA, regardless. So I, I think that with Caleb Williams, it's going to end up that he will go to the NFL draft. I think the allure of it is going to be too strong. There, there is such, we're, we're, we're so far away from the NFL draft. I think it's easy for them to say now, oh man, I don't, I don't want to go here. Now, Colin Coward had an interesting point, which was, hey, you know who's an offensive analyst for USC? Cliff Kingsbury. Where did he just come from? Arizona. What is Arizona right now? A dumpster fire. Their ownership, the management, everything in there is, is really, really bad. Here's where I compare Caleb Williams that makes me think, no, I think he still goes. You know who was a dumpster fire with their management, notoriously cheap, couldn't win games, didn't do anything right or whatnot? The Cincinnati Bengals. You know who's been to the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship game each of the last two years in the Super Bowl once? 
the Cincinnati Bengals. You know why? Because they drafted a quarterback who's a transcendent talent. And at the end of the day, I think that that blueprint can be there. And we'll see what the Cardinals are this season with Jonathan Gannon. They were competitive uh, earlier today as I record this show against the commanders on the road. They're going to be a bad football team this year. Uh, I, I think everybody expects and understands that. But I don't think that he would risk coming back to college. I mean, would it be fun if he did? Sure. I mean, I like college sports more than pro. So give me all the best players possible playing in college football and and college basketball rather than going to the NFL or NBA where they're stuck on a miserable team for several years. Like Kate Cunningham, for instance, is on the Detroit Pistons. He was awesome to watch in college. Haven't seen him put up a shot since he got into the NBA because the Pistons are a dumpster fire and they're completely irrelevant. So I think for Caleb Williams, it'll ultimately be he's going to go to the NFL draft. I think this is a smokescreen a little bit or or just kind of covering their bases from Caleb Williams' father. I, I don't anticipate that when the time comes, he'll you know pull an Eli Manning or something like that and say, nope, I'm not going here. Nope, I'm only going to go uh, over there. I think that's a pretty bad look. Now, does Caleb Williams care about perception? Clearly not. I mean, he wrote F Utah on his nails. He doesn't care what other people think uh, too much. So I think he's the sort of talent that can turn a franchise around. I think he believes that. And if Joe Burrow went to the Bengals and Andrew Luck went to the Colts when they were a mess, like Williams is that sort of prospect. And I think at the end of the day, the NFL is king and they'll, and they'll wear him down there. But you know, playing these games and such, I, I think it's just in case they do really decide, hey, we want to stay in college and not, uh, you know, stay with Lincoln Riley for another year and do this. And like, it's not like that'd be bad for him. I'm always a proponent of quarterbacks staying longer in college because they can always improve. But Caleb Williams draft stock can only go down. He's the rare guy whose stock can go down. And the only way that could happen is if he gets hurt or if you get prospect fatigue, you know, talking about the same guy for so long. NFL teams might decide, now nah, we're going to talk ourselves into this guy. Oh, we're going to talk ourselves into that guy. Like right now it's Caleb Williams and then everybody else. And, you know, Drake May and then guys like Michael Penix or Bo Nix or Quinn Ewers or whoever is coming out in the draft from uh, a loaded quarterback class. But Caleb Williams is number one. And the only way that that changes is if he gets hurt. And the only way he gets hurt is if he plays more football than, than he perhaps needs to. Sure, he could get hurt this year, but he has to play this year, right? You have to play for three years in college before you can go pro. So I, I, I think he'll end up staying. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.